0: Let's settle in
1: now for this episode with the host of the Best Song Podcast, Jeff Cummings.
0: Welcome. I am so happy that you've joined me for this first episode of the Best Song Podcast. Here's what this show is about. We're going to learn a lot about every nominee in the Best Song category for the Annual Academy Awards, which has honored the Best in Filmmaking since 1927. You're going to hear more than 470 nominated songs from nearly 460 films since the song category made its debut in 1934. You'll know more about the films in which these songs appeared, learn more about the songwriters responsible for these tunes, and the singers who made them famous, or not very famous in some cases. Plus, I'll mention some songs that were in contention for a nomination but missed out on the final cut. Some of the most popular songs in modern music history were eligible for the Best Song Oscar, but never made the final list. The title of this show has a double meaning. First, as you've figured out, it's referencing the Oscar category that will be the focus of this series. My hope is that the title also will ring true about it being the best podcast about songs out there. And I know there are a lot of them but none that are focused squarely on this single category of the most popular entertainment award show in the world. As we progress through the history of film and through the history of the Academy Award for Best Song, you'll hear some tunes that are familiar to your ears, but you never knew they were Academy Award nominees. Some of the films that presented these songs have lapsed into obscurity, with the songs becoming much more popular than the films themselves. As you listen to the nominated songs, Perhaps it will help you decide if the Academy made the right choice in selecting the best song of the year. Even if you know which song wins the Academy Award, you might not know about some of the nominees that competed with it, or the often difficult journey that winning song took on its path to being an award winner, or the headaches the songwriters endured to get the perfect melody or just the right lyrics. We might hear a popular song and think it came to the songwriters in less than an hour, But the opposite is often true. Sammy Kahn, a name you will hear quite often on this podcast, has said that if an idea for a song doesn't come after 45 minutes, it probably won't be a good song. But then there are the likes of Johnny Mercer and Oscar Hammerstein II, who would often take weeks to write dozens of drafts before feeling comfortable with one. Leslie Brickus, another man who will be a frequent mention on this show, said, quote, Songs are like women or cats. Fascinating, elusive, seductive, irresistible, infuriating, moody, demanding, and contradictory creatures. They should be approached with caution and respect, especially at night. It's all part of the songwriter's never-ending quest, the eternal search for beauty, romance, and occasional perfection. Quote. As you hear the hundreds of stories in this podcast, keep Brickus' statement in mind. Even the songwriters we have labeled as geniuses did not wake up one morning and create the quintessential song. Like the work we all do in our daily lives, songwriting is often not as easy as it might appear to be. So before we really get started with this podcast, I want to give you a little background about myself. The most important thing you need to know about me is that I am not a trained musician, I do know how to read music, thanks to two semesters of basic piano performance at local community colleges in 2013 and 2014. And I spent two years producing and hosting a podcast devoted to the 109 feature film scores written by John Williams, called The Baton, A John Williams Musical Journey. It turned out to be a fantastic education about music for me. So I'm basically just an average guy with an above average knowledge of music who just wanted to learn more about the Academy Award for Best Original Song, and this podcast is my way of sharing what I've learned with you. So with that, let's raise the baton on this show and begin. The history of this category is just as intriguing as just about any other award given out by the Emotion Picture Academy. The Best Song Award has seen more rule changes than possibly any other award in the Academy's existence, which has created some controversy within the industry, in the media, and with the movie-going public. The first Academy Award for Best Song wasn't handed out, as I said, until 1934, which was the 7th Annual Awards Ceremony. And that's not too surprising given that the film industry before 1934 was still getting used to making actors talk on screen. But it should be noted that the silent film era of the early 1900s relied almost exclusively on music to tell the story, though no songs were ever sung because the music played for motion pictures at the time were performed live on a piano at each movie house, mostly improvised. Trying to find one or more singers to perform at the hundreds of movie houses across just the United States would have been a costly and near impossible task. Though we associate the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences with its annual award, the organization did not begin as a way to honor its peers. Louis B. Mayer, one of the big power brokers of Hollywood in the 1920s, wanted to create an organization that would help mediate the labor disputes that were rising in the pre-union days of Hollywood. Mayer was very anti-union and thought of a way to combat it. He invited a few Hollywood heavy hitters such as producer Fred Beetson to chat about his idea. The idea grew from being a labor dispute mediator to censoring partner with the Hayes office. At first, the organization was called the International Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and its members were made of actors, directors, writers, producers, and technicians, the five original branches of the academy. The idea of giving out awards was not discussed in the early meetings, but the word international was dropped from the official name when the group's charter was filed in spring 1927. Once the charter was approved, the Academy's first president, actor Douglas Fairbanks, came up with the idea of bestowing awards of merit in various Hollywood categories, one or two for each of the five branches. That expanded to 12 for the first awards, which would be decided not by the entire Academy membership, but by a committee overseen by Louis B. Mayer. Several of those first 12 categories did not make it past the first ceremony. There were separate awards for comedy and drama directors, and a competitive award for title writing. The precursor to the Visual Effects Award was the Engineering Effects Award, and there was what could be viewed as two Best Picture categories. One was called Best Production, and the other was Best Unique and Artistic Picture. The Best Production Award is what the Academy officially recognized as the Best Picture at that first ceremony, given to the silent film Wings. Wings is the only silent film to win Best Picture, and like every silent film, it was heavy on the music. But there was no recognition for the musical contribution of John Samechnick, who wrote the score for Wings and received no screen credit. That was true of every composer of music for silent films. Almost all of them never got the chance to be recognized by their peers or the public. The Academy was head over heels for Wings and other silent films at its first awards ceremony, while a monumental film released at the same time was almost completely shut out. The Jazz Singer was released on October 6, 1927, and was the first film to feature actors speaking on screen in several sequences. Al Jolson was the star of the film, and the sound of him singing Dirty Hands, Dirty Face, which was written for a 1921 Broadway show, by the way, must have been mind-blowing at the time, as well as him actually talking after the song.
1: Wait a minute, wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Wait a minute, I tell you. You ain't heard nothing. You wanna hear choo-choo-choo-choo? All right, hold on, hold right. on. No, listen, play choo-choo-choo-choo-choo, choo 3 chorus, you understand? And the third chorus, I whistle. Now give it to him hard and heavy. Go right ahead. choo 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 goodbye. Choo-choo-choo-choo-choo, do not cry. The little choo-choo-choo Takes me away from you. You don't know just how sad it makes me. Kiss me pretty and then, ow, ow, do it over again. Watch for the mail. I'll never fail. If you don't get a letter, then you know I'm in jail. Hey, hey, don't cry, me don't cry. Kiss me, but goodbye.
0: None of the seven songs performed in The Jazz Singer were original to the film. One of the songs, Blue Skies, was written for the Broadway musical Betsy as a last-minute replacement by Irving Berlin. If you don't know who Irving Berlin is, well, you're going to learn a lot more about him throughout this podcast. Let's just say he goes on to be a pretty big name in music. As for The Jazz Singer, it remains one of the most pivotal films in history and the Academy felt that its singing and speaking actors would clean up easily at the Academy Awards, so Louis B. Mayer decided to make it ineligible for the two Best Picture Awards. Al Jolson also did not receive a nomination for Best Actor. To make up for it, the Academy gave Warner Brothers, the studio that made The Jazz Singer, a special Academy Award for making, quote, the pioneer outstanding talking picture, end quote. In 1928, the Academy honored as its second best picture, the film The Broadway Melody, believed to be their first official movie musical and the first in a long line of musical films by the studio Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. It featured six songs written for the picture by the duo of Arthur Freed and Nacio Herb Brown. Here's the title tune, sung by Charles King, who plays a songwriter trying to help a pair of vaudeville singers make it big in New York City.
1: There may be streets that have their sorrow A smile today, a tear tomorrow But there's a street that lives in glory It always tells the same old story Don't bring a frown to old Broadway a clown on Broadway, <laughs> your trouble's name, or I'm
0: There had been an Academy Award for best song at the 1928 Oscars. The Broadway Melody would surely have been nominated, and maybe it would have won since it appeared in the eventual best picture. The song The Broadway Melody is mentioned or performed a few times throughout its namesake film, which helped stick it in moviegoers' minds. The idea of turning a popular movie song into a hit record was still a novelty at this time, but I'm sure The Broadway Melody could have been a big hit if it were available for sale to the public. Arthur Freed and Nacio Herb brown are considered the fathers of the movie musical, not only because they wrote songs specifically for the first official movie musical, but because many of the original musicals that would follow for the next decade or so would be crafted around songs they wrote and sold to be used in any form. Though he wrote the music for many songs that would become standards, including many of the songs featured in the 1952 hit Singing in the Rain, Nacio Herb Brown never received an Academy Award nomination for any of his work, mostly because the Academy did not have an award for songwriting at the height of his popularity in the early 1930s. Arthur Freed found much more fame than his songwriting partner in the 1940s and 1950s as the catalyst for MGM's massive output of movie musicals. He got a start writing songs for the Marx Brothers in their vaudeville days from 1910 to 1920, and would go on to shape the careers of some great movie musical legends such as Judy Garland, Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly, and Lena Horne. So as I said, the Broadway Melody won the Best Picture Oscar and revolutionized how sound would be featured in movies. But musicals fell out of favor with the public for a couple of years, and the studios did not want to risk putting up the money to make them, even though the Broadway Melody showed musicals could make a profit. Germany, Italy, and Great Britain churned out some movie musicals in the late 1920s and early 1930s, but none of them made any public impact. Maurice Chevalier was a big star in this time, moving to Hollywood as talking pictures were taking hold in 1928. Though he was known as a singer and vaudeville performer in his native Paris, his first Hollywood film was a dramatic one, playing a man down on his luck and in love with an heiress in the big pond, released in 1930. His love song to her became one of Chevalier's greatest hits, You Brought a New Kind of Love To Me
2: Sweet One, Fairer than the Flowers. Never will I meet one. Sweeter than you Would you turn away or could you really do to care if I ever dare to say I love you If the nightingales could sing like you they'd sing much sweeter than they do Oh you brought a new kind of love to me if the sad man brought me dreams of you I'd want to sleep my whole life through or oh, you brought a new get of love to me
0: That song was written by lyricist Irving Cajal and composer Sammy Fain, another popular songwriting team of the time. Just like Nacio Herb Brown, Cajal was a busy man in the 1920s and early 1930s, but his popularity waned just as the Academy began recognizing songwriters, and he never received an Oscar nomination, but kept writing until his death in 1946. Kahal's partner would become very well-known with the Academy over the years, and we'll hear more about Sammy Fain in upcoming episodes. The same year as The Big Pond, Chevalier was the star of a big musical called The Love Parade playing a man of many scandals who falls in love with the queen of a fictional European country. This film is also notable for starting the second career of German director Ernst Lubitsch, who marked his sound film debut with The Love Parade and would make more than 20 movies until 1948. None of the nine songs in The Love Parade would become big hits, but they all advanced the story of the film instead of just appearing as space fillers, something that Broadway musicals did well but was still being tested in movie musicals. For his work on The Big Pond and The Love Parade, Chevalier received an Oscar nomination for Best Actor at a time when actors were often nominated by name and not by a single film performance. That would be Chevalier's only Oscar nomination in a very illustrious career that would culminate with a very meaty role in a big MGM musical about 30 years later. Another popular Chevalier musical of the early 1930s was One Hour With You, released in 1932. One of the songs in One Hour With You was called What Would You Do? with music by Oscar Strauss and lyrics by Leo Robin.
2: I didn't want to do what I did, but I did And now what can I do? I'd better take a trip, guess a trip on a ship To China or Peru i knew the moment that she began where it was leading to it might have happened to any man it might have happened to you it was late and she was lonely and she begged for sympathy only Now I ask you, what would you do in a case like that, if her head was on your shoulder and she grew a little bit bolder? Now I ask you, what would you do with a girl like that? Do you think you could resist her? Do you think you would have kissed her? Would you treat her like a sister? <laughs> Come on, be honest, mister. If you saw her turn the light out, would you get your hat and get right out? Now, I ask you, what would you do? <laughs> That's what I did too. It was late and she was lonely, and she begged for sympathy. Only, now, I ask you, what would you do?
0: You're going to see a pattern here. Composer Oscar Strauss never got a chance to see any Oscar glory, as his career as a movie songwriter was brief. He only wrote songs for one more film, 1936's British film Land Without Music. It was released in the United States as forbidden music, but it did not catch on with the public. In 1936, the Academy was still closing off its awards eligibility to films made in, outside the United States. So even though Land Without Music was retitled when it made its way across the pond... The Academy deemed it a foreign film and never gave the film or its songs a second look. As for Leo Robin, he would form a more solid writing partnership with Ralph Ranger beginning immediately after One Hour With You. This partnership garnered many successful songs on the Broadway stage, in movies, and as songs recorded by some of the era's most famous singers. More popular than One Hour With You in 1932 was the musical comedy Love Me Tonight, Starring Chevalier as a tailor in Love with a Widow, played by Jeanette MacDonald. The song that became a big hit from this film has continued to charm music lovers everywhere. Isn't it romantic? The way it's performed in the film was quite unique for the time, and is still a novel way to perform a song. Chevalier starts singing about his life as a tailor, with a customer standing there listening. The customer takes the melody and exits the store while singing it. A passerby not only takes the song, but also takes the cab that the tailor-shop customer refused. The man in the taxi cab is a composer, and he later sits on a train writing out the notes to the song, humming as he writes. The tune is overheard by a group of soldiers who sing it while marching in the French countryside. A group of gypsies take the tune and perform it over a campfire not far from a castle where McDonald's princess lives. She sings the final verse of the song, which has become the first verse of Isn't It Romantic and later recordings.
3: Isn't it romantic? Music in the night, a dream that can be heard. Isn't it romantic?
0: It's hard to imagine any song more popular from 1932 than Isn't It Romantic, and it's likely that song by Richard Rodgers and Laurence Hart would have won the Best Song Oscar if it had been offered that year. And thanks to singers such as Tony Bennett, the song became a jazz standard for many years and would be listed as the 73rd best song on the American Film Institute's list of the 100 best songs of the first 100 years of movies. Of all the songs on that list, isn't it romantic? is the earliest entry. Anyone who is a fan of musical theater knows the name Richard Rogers. He's the composer behind so many well loved Broadway musicals from Oklahoma and South Pacific to The King and I and The Sound of Music. Hart was Rogers' lyricist until 1942, helping to write songs for shows such as Babe in Arms and Pal Joey. Babes in Arms featured the great song My Funny Valentine and is another one of the great jazz songs of the early 20th century. As the contributions of the studio's music departments became more prevalent in the shaping of emotion and plot in a movie, the Academy began to take notice. I haven't seen any official Academy memo stating this, but I would bet the Board of Governors at the time had lengthy discussions about bringing awards for music into its award ceremony. By the time the 1933 awards were handed out, it was clear that music was definitely getting short shrift. The sound engineers, who were responsible for making the music sound right, had been awarded at the Oscars since the third annual awards ceremony, so why not prop up the people who were writing the music audiences were loving? That year, four movie musicals showed that the Academy needed to get on the right side of history very quick. Warner Brothers released a splashy musical called 42nd Street in 1933, a peek behind the curtain of day-to-day lives of Broadway performers. The movie was based on a novel of the same name and featured some stunning choreography by a 35-year-old Broadway veteran named Busby Berkeley. If you have seen most of the Hollywood musicals from the 1930s and 1940s, chances are you've marveled at Busby Berkeley's work. The musical featured five songs written by composer Harry Warren and lyricist Al Dubin. Though Warren was making his Hollywood debut with 42nd Street, he had written and published dozens of songs before then and would go on to write more than 500 songs. We'll be featuring some of them throughout this podcast series, including some he wrote with Al Dubin. Dubin had been working off and on with Broadway shows before teaming up with Warren for 42nd Street, writing lyrics for songs that would be set to music by other composers after he sold the lyrics to publishing houses. When the opportunity to write songs for 42nd Street came around, Warren and Dubin worked closely with Busby Berkeley to create songs that would not only sound pleasing to the ear, but would be performed beautifully by dancers on screen. Not many of the musical numbers in 42nd Street feature the lavish dance numbers that would make Berkeley famous later on, but the spark was there, the title song starts as a fairly simple rendition of ruby keeler singing to a crowd and doing a little tap number later on the stage will expand and show us the busy life on 42nd street
3: in the heart of little old new york you'll find a thoroughfare it's the part of little old new york that runs two times square our crazy quilt that And me, those dancing feet. On the avenue, I'm taking you to Forty Second Feet. Here's a beam of dancing feet. It's the song I love the melody of, Forty Second Feet.
0: The film Forty Second Street would translate into a successful Broadway musical in 1980. Using almost all of the songs from the 1933 film and adding a few more, written by Warren and Dubin, as well as lyricist Johnny Mercer. As for the title song, it was such a high template for staging musical numbers on film that even Busby Berkeley himself was pressured to top it. That song was placed on the American Film Institute's 100 Best Songs of the First 100 Years of Movies at number 97. Though 42nd Street was a big hit in 1933, Making more than twice its budget with $1.4 million in ticket sales, it was not the top musical of the year. That belongs to Gold Diggers of 1933, an adaptation of a 1919 play that was turned into a musical thanks to Harry Warren and Al Dubin, with Busby Berkeley also contributing. The film featured more lavish dance numbers than 42nd Street, including a lengthy number called the Shadow Waltz, featuring a bunch of performers dressed up as dancing violins. But the most lasting song to come out of Gold Diggers of 1933 was called We're in the Money, which featured 22-year-old Broadway transplant Ginger Rogers. Like many musical performers in the movies at the time, Rogers made the move from Broadway to Hollywood for the musicals, and her first year in movies featured her in 42nd Street and Gold Diggers of 1933. Not bad for a Hollywood debut. Ginger Rogers performs We're in the Money, and it's the first song performed in Gold Diggers, and it reflects the exact opposite of the times in which the movie was playing. The Great Depression was ravaging across the United States, and the song expressed optimism that things on the other side of the Depression will bring wealth and happiness to everyone. Rogers was accompanied by a bunch of female dancers holding oversized coins with their dresses covered in ornaments that looked like silver coins.
3: my blues and gone my tears, I've got good news to shout in your ears, the long lost dollar has come back to the fold, with silver you can turn your dreams to gold, oh, we're in the money, we're in the money, we've got a lot of what it takes to get along, oh, we're in the money. The sky is sunny, oh man, depression, you are through, you done us wrong, oh, we never see headline about a red line today, and when we see the landlord, we can look that guy right in the eye, oh, we're in the money, come on, my honey, let's lend it, spend it, send it, rolling around, oh boy, we're in the money, I said we're in the money,
0: Warren and Dubin, as well as Berkeley, were involved in a third musical in 1933 called Footlight Parade. Warren and Dubin wrote two songs for the film Honeymoon Hotel and Shanghai Lily, but the standout song from the film was created by Sammy Fain and Irving Cajal. By a Waterfall was a precursor to the famous water ballet sequences by the great Esther Williams from the 1940s and 1950s and featured 300 swimmers moving to Busby Berkeley's choreography.
1: simple things because i'm awfully fond of getting love in a natural setting this is what i call the simple things just a winding stream where i can drift and dream and i'm way.
0: Though he had only been in Hollywood for two years, Harry Warren was held in such high regard that a newsreel featured him called Harry Warren, America's Foremost Composer. Many of the music he wrote up to that point were featured in the newsreel. And there was another musical released in 1933 that has pretty much been lost in history, but does have some great historical significance for the appearance of several actors. Dancing Lady was the film debut of Fred Astaire, Incidentally, the same year as Ginger Rogers, both of whom would form one of the most beloved on-screen duos in movie history. The songs for Dancing Lady were written by Burton Lane, a composer who was primarily working on Broadway at the time, and lyricist Harold Abramson, who was in the first year of his contract with MGM. The only song of note from the film is Everything I Have is Yours. Art Jarrett portrays himself in the film, singing the song as Joan Crawford dances to the tune. ¶¶
1: My love is yours alone. You came and captured a heart that was free. Now I've nothing I can call my own. Everything I have is yours. You're part of me. Everything I have is yours. destiny, I would gladly give the sun to you, if the sun were only mine, I would gladly give the earth to you, and the stars.
0: These four great musicals were released the year before the Academy created the Best Song category. And if the Song category had been in existence at the 6th Academy Awards, Warren and Dubin would have certainly cleaned up. Though I think Burden Lane and Harold Abramson would have been a strong contender for Everything I Have Is Yours. As we're going to find out through this podcast series, the Academy has a soft spot for love songs. But there will also be a fond list for songs featuring the film's title... And one has to wonder if that would have helped 42nd Street if there had been a Best Song Oscar in 1933. In the next episode, we'll move to 1934 and the creation of this new Academy Awards category and explore the inaugural nominees. I'm looking forward to officially getting started on this journey, and I hope you are too. Thanks for singing along with me on this episode. We'll do it again next time. The Best Song podcast is not authorized or endorsed by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The show's creator, writer, producer, and editor is Jeff Cummings. All music clips are permitted for use under the Education Clause of the Fair Use Doctrine in United States law.